And welcome to Two Marks and a Mike podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. Today we're going to be talking about managers and what they bring to the business as a whole and how they enhance the product of professional wrestling. Yeah, you know, when you first start watching wrestling and you see managers, it's like, what are they doing here? They're just here in their furniture. But we'll see as we go on this podcast, they really do bring a lot more to matches as far as angles and character development. Exactly. I think that they bring a lot to the, like you said, character development and to the story. I think the first one we should talk about is Mr. Fuji. He managed guys from Demolition to Jimmy Anvil Neidhart to Owen Hart. Warlord, Barbarian. And a really good addition to the managerial aspect of wrestling. He was a great heel manager. But I think now that I look back and rewatching a lot of like old school wrestling, but a lot of the heels had the manager. There was obviously still baby faces that did. I, I really think that he was like, he had that mystique, that Asian mystique, very quiet, who had the salt and would blind you and you never knew what he was up to. Exactly. He was always doing something that was shady. At least, the, at least the referee didn't see it most of the time. You know, I liked it when demolition after they split up from him, they called him Fuja Stooge. <laughs> you know, that was pretty cool. I always had a soft spot for him because he just seemed like a, a kind old grandpa that would throw salt in your eyes. Sure, and you see, like, there'll be random videos and clips popping up from the old days where they're just doing their everyday thing, and he's very, he's, he seems a very likable guy, uh, and it seemed like he was very friendly in the locker room. And But one thing that was really, where you have to give good credit to, to Mr. Fuji is he didn't really have the verbal skills, at least in on air, you know? He, he was quiet. He didn't depend on verbally speaking his mind he was doing his other mischief things he had to watch out for him with his cane i don't know if it was a language barrier or if it was all kayfabe he was definitely a manager that you did not put with a talent that couldn't talk like all but all those guys back in the day like your demolitions and you know all, they, they could everybody could talk back then you didn't have to have uh people write their lines for them give them the direction that they needed to go and with fuji i almost think they were trying to develop him into almost like a bond type villain you mean way. like a uh, like a random task or yeah or with his job. little top yeah. hat and his cane yeah. and you know asian you know they just kind of old school bond to me exactly yeah i think that you're right now that you mention that it does seem kind of although i'm not gonna lie that the the character was definitely stereotypical i agree maybe it, which it a lot of things were back in the day right and it probably wrestling. really wouldn't fly that well today no but you know given the 80s and 90s you could get away a little bit more i would love for them to just re-air some stuff that we used to watch back in the day uncensored and just to see so and then we have um we're gonna touch on bobby heenan here a little bit but mr heenan gets his own episode yeah because very few managers have the ability that bobby heenan had Gonna, and he's my all-time favorite. Is he your favorite manager too? Or I don't think I he's asked you top that. two for sure. Yeah. And there's not too many people that guy didn't manage as far as heels are concerned back then. But we'll leave him alone for now. Let's talk about Nancy Benoit, woman. Her early days in WCW with Kevin Sullivan, she was a natural, and she just gravitated to the wrestling business. She gravitated to her character. I think she enhanced Sullivan's character well with that whole cultish, demonic thing that they pulled off. How, how do you feel about? Really didn't pay much attention to her with Sullivan. Sullivan. I, my first memories of woman was with the four horsemen and that type of situation where she was one of the girls drooling over the four horsemen. But I also wasn't heavily into WCW at the time. Going back and looking at how much after watching, you know, Benoit's Dark Side of the Ring, how much of an impact she really did have on her territories that she was working in. And she was in there for a, a while. 
Uh, it's hard to say that she'd be kind of nothing without Benoit in that sense because I think she kind of made her own name before. Exactly. I mean, that's a, what a lot of female managers did back then. They made themselves. for the, Like Miss Elizabeth, for example, she maybe said 15 words, mm -hmm. you know, that I can recall on her on camera. I think they have to have a certain look and a certain demeanor to, to make it work. And that's I think that's any manager. Right, and Miss right. Elizabeth's demeanor was the very timid and scared. And, oh. Right, very shy and stuff like that. But, you know, woman was a little bit more outspoken. She was able to, you know, kind of do a little bit here and there. Not so much physically, but, you know, not like a China did. But China wasn't a manager. She was more of a bodyguard yeah. slash heater, you know what I mean? Let's see else who I have in my notes. So, here. well, we can go into Miss Elizabeth because she was on your list, wasn't she? So, yeah. So, yeah, Miss Elizabeth, like we said, she was like the, tim the timid one. She was almost like the princess of 80s wrestling. Gorilla Monsoon coined the phrase wrestling's first lady. And that's fair. She, as far as managers are concerned, you know. Yeah, exactly. A manager can only get you so far. But, like, I think it's for people they haven't had a chance to really get over much, learn how to talk yet. And to be fair, they put her in some positions where she took some bumps. And I'm sure she worked with, with Macho with it behind the scenes. But... You know, not, nothing too crazy, but she would get accidental run-ins and hurts being outside and that added to different angles for different matches. Right. But, I think with her getting kayfabe hurt, that was the, the end of the Mega Powers angle. Oh, yeah. You know, and how it really played from Hogan to, you know, being whatever. I, that was a very weird angle to me because I didn't, it did, there was no clear-cut bad guy. Yeah, I, mean, I think that was kind of like they used that as the catalyst to put Macho into the bad guy situation. And when you're, when you're pairing him with Hogan, it's like, you know, who are you going to make the bad guy in that situation? Right. Because I think Hogan would have rather have croaked than gone heel back in that time. Especially right? during that time. Right. Um, and I also think that with Macho Man having Elizabeth, she was able to kind of get used to the whole wrestling scene. And she, was that, she seemed more natural than just some random person off the street coming in hey we're going to give you a gig and try you out doing this because she's been around the wrestling business with being married to macho man at that time so i didn't know this at the time but wrestlemania 7 when they had the kayfabe wedding on air buried for a couple years at that point right and if you watch uh, their dark side of the ring you understand how that all dissolved we're not here for the dirt we're here just for the sure. fun stuff i think that her career was good i mean i think it ended on a sour note in wcw and then of course her untimely death and but, i just wonder I, I just don't even think she was used well when in wcw i know that was much later i mean if you compare elizabeth i never think of her nwo and wcw like that's never my first no me instinct, or luger none of that it's always macho 80s mega mm -hmm. powers era you can't do the same thing forever, which, I mean, basically she did. I think that's why they interjected Sensational Sherry there a little bit. She really... She did good on keeping Macho a heel. I think yeah. that was the perfect, perfect manager you can put on air with him to really enhance that Macho King vibe and that heel Macho Man turn because you can only hate Macho Man so much when he has Elizabeth in his corner, I exactly. guess, back then. So Sherry Martell, she's... She really enhanced his King Macho character. I think it let it flourish in a good way. And she managed a bunch of different guys, like Shawn Michaels, Sting, people like that. Yeah, and not that Macho Man needed help on the mic or in his promos, but she definitely enhanced his promos as well when they did the whole Macho King and Sensational Queen Sherry. I don't think anybody hated a manager as much as they hated Sherry. But she also managed Ted DiBiase, which I don't really remember that run that much. It was quick. It was right after he had his little spat with Virgil. And she would kind of walk around in her little million-dollar jacket. She had a money sign on her cheek. It was very, very short-lived. Right. I think that was her last stint before she jumped ship to WCW. And then there she did. Then there she managed Harlem Heat for a little bit. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, when we were talking about managers and with 
Fuji enhancing the heel angle of screw job endings and matches. You can always, always depend on Cherry using the purse or her shoe or her <laughs> pearls or something. She was always cheating something. She was always there. The angle that she did with Sean, or that really that enhanced that character, gave it an extra uh, level of arrogance that I think he needed. Because you know we all know Sean was a pretty shy guy, and, and stuff like that was able to get him to come out of his shell a little bit more. I don't like I said I wasn't a big WCW fan, so I didn't really watch her with Harlem Heat that much. I, and I guess when she was in WCW, she also managed Ric Flair. Yeah, she did. And just to uh, go back on with the with Sean is I think she played a pivotal role, and because Sean was babyface his entire career. I don't think he knew how to be a heel. And if there's anybody who can show him how to put on and make people hate you in a heel role, mm -hmm. especially with her history of resume, I should say, who she worked with, I think she was perfect for the job to kind of boost him up. Yeah, I agree. They knew each other from, I think, the AWA days when Marty Jannetty and him tag teamed as the Midnight Rockers. So they had that chemistry that was already there. Talking about Harlem Heat, I kind of went yeah, back I, to Sean. But. I know they feuded with Hall and Nash a little bit. It didn't make sense to me. Like I said, I didn't pay much attention to WCW back then. I, that was kind of weird. Like, where does she fit in in this Harlem Heat angle? Because it's not like they were brand new. They've been around. So it was almost like they're just kind of not grasping at straws to see what works, which they could have been. I don't know. But it just didn't make sense. And I believe that was her last management gig before she went off air. I really did my best to avoid WCW back then just because I thought, it, like I said before, in the NFL, it was an inferior product. But I guess she also managed the Honky Tonk Man and a bunch of other guys. And when she managed Honky Tonk Man, I think she was Peggy Sue or whatever his girlfriend was. I don't know if she was Sherry with him. No, I, th I think but. she was Peggy Sue. I think it was a, they were going like a, a super fan angle with that one. Mm. She had like blonde wig and the heart-shaped glasses. Yep. And I forget what that kind the of skirt is called. Skirt. I'm glad you know that, Joe. I do not question your manhood at all over <laughs> that. So now we're going to go ahead and move on to... Jimmy Hart. He had a quite the resume when it came to being a manager of talent. He managed everyone from Hulk Hogan to Greg Valentine to the Natural Disasters to the Nasty Boys. I think he's he's a very prolific manager. He was a good heater. Yeah, you know, he had a megaphone, get a rise out of people. He could always put on some siren mode or some god awful thing. To... It was very obnoxious. Yes, it was. And and his voice, as much as I like Jimmy Hart and I think he was a great asset, his voice was holy crap, was it annoying? Yeah, absolutely. And judging from like his earlier years, with a Young Heart Foundation, it worked because the Young Heart Foundation were heels when they first started. And I think he was really good at enhancing those heel characters. Exactly. Um, that's why they always stuck on with Dino Bravo, which Dino Bravo was a heel who spoke very little to no English. So they needed him for promos. Speaking of Dino Bravo, I think there was a lot of his whole ending of his life was surrounded in mystery that we won't get into here too much. But it's just check out his dark side of the ring if you get a chance. It's very interesting and in how I don't want to say too much because it's just one That's of those. Crazy. It's so I one of my favorite tag teams was the Nasty Boys to a degree. I didn't like there was one move they did called the pit stop. Yeah. Where they rub rub the guy's face in one of the, like Sags' armpit or, or was it I was it Sags or either way I think they which, both did it equally. Yeah, it was just disgusting, but that's the whole theme, nasty boys, you know. So, but I guess it's what some jobber had to do to earn his pay for the week. And I thought he worked well because nasty boys coming into WWF back then. I mean, they were a tag team that was around, but brand new to WWF fans. So I thought putting them with, with Jimmy Hart was good. And also I really liked the transition with natural disasters because he was already managing earthquake and typhoon was babyface his whole career, at least from what I remember in WWF. 
So having him come in the natural disasters and again working with heels and Earthquake, who already was a heel, I thought it was a good mix. Right, and then I think Typhoon in his early days of WWE slash F, he was tugboat. He was tugboat. Yeah, he come out wearing the little pinstripe shirt and the funny little hat. He was Hogan's best friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gimmicks aside, I think it was it was okay for what it was. I think the 80s, like we touched on it before, 80s and 90s were completely geared toward mostly young kids. Speaking of Hulk Hogan, good segue, is he managed Hulk Hogan for a very long time. He managed him. He didn't, at the end of his WWE career, he was there. I know that because WrestleMania 9, I remember seeing him there. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he basically followed him into WCW. But his contract just expired, and he was just going to film this TV show. I just wanted to clear that up for people that didn't know it. I'm, and I am no Hogan Mark, but I don't like dirt either. But anyways, he didn't just leave Vince in a lurch. His contract expired. And plus, what else do you have to prove when you're Hulk Hogan in WWF and right. the tenure you have? So You have to think about the limitations of what your character can do. I also thought it was kind of weird seeing him with Hogan and Brutus towards the latter years. Not even years. I don't think it was a full year. With uh, but going on the WrestleMania nine with Hogan, just because I don't know, it was just weird seeing Hogan with a manager in general again that wasn't Elizabeth, and I don't necessarily think he needed it, but I think it worked well in WCW. Yeah, I did too. I think because he needed something because he was when he first got to WCW, it looked like he was very much out of his element, and he didn't know what to expect. Because and then um, I think that's enough about Hogan for that part. Yeah, I agree. And then so Greg Valentine, I think. When he, I don't really know a lot about Valentine because I was never a big Greg, Greg Valentine fan. Mm-hmm. I know that Hart. I uh, did rhythm and blues with him and Honky Tonk Man as well. Yeah, because he had his because he dyed his hair black. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, that, that now. God, that was yeah, awful. any any um, as much as I liked the Honky Tonk Man, any gimmick or anything that guy did, it just wasn't great. You know, I mean, unless he was solo, Honky Tonk Solo was amazing. You know, an Elvis impersonator gimmick was fantastic at the time. When he teamed with Billy Gunn, you know, when he did the Rockabilly thing. So random. Random and why? I just I remember looking at that and being like, this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not a good move for Billy, and it's a backward step for Honky. I agree. Excuse me. Honky Tonk Man. You can't say Honky. <laughs> yeah. <either>. Oh, God. <laughs> we don't want to. But, yeah, I don't. Um, as far as uh, him and, and who he managed, like you said, I know did a brief little thing with the Mountie back in the day. But Mountie didn't really do much. Icy strapped and left and then did Quebecers and random things. I think that's going to wrap this episode up. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next time.